0: Today's scripture reading will be from John chapter 13, verses 36 to chapter 14, verses 14. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. or else believe on, like, on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he, will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that fa- that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This was the word of the Lord.
1: I knew hope. Thanks for reading God's word to us, Pinky. There's, there's a lot of truth, so much truth in this passage. There's a lot that we're not going to look at today for lack of time. But what I'm hoping we can do as we work through this passage is focus on what the Lord has used in particular to minister to me in these words. But more importantly, what lies I believe at the core Of this passage here's a question do you know what it feels like to be homesick it's a weird question to ask in the middle of a quarantine isn't it some of us are tired of being home you want out of your house but i bet you know what it feels like when you're far from home long enough and and you begin to get that restless urge to go back whether you're a kid at summer camp or you're a freshman away at college, or whether you're on a business trip, or you're serving a jail sentence, the feeling is universal. And and I want you to think about why that is. Why is it that we all miss home? If you've ever missed home, what is it exactly that you were missing? You know, there's something ancient about homesickness. It really runs deeper than just wanting to sleep in your own bed or to eat your mom's cooking. In fact, ever since the fall, ever since the fall of humanity, we've all longed for home. The first man and woman lived in a place that was spectacular. The creator himself housed them in a a garden. And it was lush, and it was beautiful. But what made that place truly home and truly good was the presence of God himself. They experienced the goodness of living with God until they decided they wanted that place, but they didn't want the care of God. And so they rejected him. They rejected his rule. Rather than love him, they, they pushed him away. They, disobeyed his good and kind commands. And the result was exile from the garden, from home. And and this had far-reaching effects. Because ever since then, humanity has been separated from the comfort and the safety of the presence of God. But if we keep reading the scriptures, we find out that that separation wouldn't be permanent. God would bring his people back home somehow in some time. And really that's the theme that runs through the entire Bible. Sin leads to exile, then God promises to restore his people to their home one day. It's the story of Exodus, it's the story of Israel in Babylon, it's the story of the prodigal son, it's the story of human history. And every time God's people in the Bible go through this cycle of sin, exile, homecoming, every time it happens, it's always pointing us to something bigger. New Hope, this world is fallen. It is a broken mess. We live with the inescapable reality of that every day. Even if you live in the suburbs, you cannot insulate yourself from it. It's everywhere. Even in your own home. In fact, even if you don't think about it very often, the real this realization may be hitting a lot of people very hard this year that the world is broken. W- what a year that's been so far. What a month, in fact. We're still not free from a global pandemic. We're bitterly divided over how to get through that pandemic. Leaders seem to be deepening that division. Some of you have, in recent weeks been faced repeatedly with sickness and with death and then and then we hear reports like this one a 25 year old black man named Amud Arbery was killed by two neighbors who suspected him of burglary friends and family say he was jogging or a report like this 26 year old black woman named Breonna Taylor was killed by officers who reportedly had mistakenly raided her home And then this week, this week, many of us watched with our own eyes a 46 year old black man named George Floyd killed, casually even, by an officer who had arrested him and who himself would be arrested but four days later. So across our, and then across our nation now, cities are burning. Some are doing the burning, others are pleading for it to stop, even as they plead for justice. And and all of this, all of this is pulling back the curtain just a little bit on evil. Personal evil, national wickedness that we cannot ignore. And again, that's that's just a few weeks worth of evil. It's just... This sliver of time that we're living in right now, it's what caught the attention of our national media just for now. But how many other acts of evil have people endured or committed during that same time that went unreported or unrecorded? How many acts of evil have been perpetrated and endured throughout the history of our world, through the history of our nation? Don't we all long for a better world, a a better home even, where, where righteousness dwells, where justice is a constant reality, where truth not only happens once in a while, but truth consistently is spoken. In this passage, Jesus Christ gives a promise to everyone who truly believes in him. He says your longing will become a reality. You will experience home. The the one, that home that you've restlessly wanted all your life, even if you've never known it, Even if you never realized that you were longing for it. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, open up to John 13, 36. Because what Jesus says here is vital for our faith. It's vital if we're going to live in these days right now. Three essential pieces to what Christ says here. He gives us the promise of a home, he tells us the way home, and he tells us how to live now while we're away from home. So there's the promise of home, there's the way home, and then there's how to live right now while we're still away from home. So what's the promise here? What's the promise of home? Jesus is, just to remind us all, he's in an upstairs room with his disciples, It's the night that he's going to be arrested, and this whole section through chapter 16, it's often called the upper room discourse or the farewell discourse. He's leaving soon, and he wants to prepare his disciples for what's ahead. So the Lord has already told them a few things, and we've looked at this in previous weeks. He's washed their feet and told them to serve one another the way that he has loved and served them. He's told them that a friend is going to betray him, a very member of their group. He's also told them that he's going to leave soon, and they can't go with him, at least not for now. And then he tells them to love one another just as he has loved them. So he's given them all this important information, but the disciples, understandably, they fixate on one of those things above all others, and it's his departure. And one disciple in particular, Peter, asks an obvious question. He says, Lord, where are you going? Verse 36, And Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Jesus is telling them again that very soon he's going to die. Brutally, publicly, they don't know that yet. He'll die bleeding out on a cross, and and then he'll be raised from the dead, and he will eventually ascend. He's going to return to God the Father. And he's going to do all of this for them, for us, for anyone who would believe in him. It's the ultimate act of love and the ultimate act of friendship, Jesus says. But in that moment, this feels like abandonment to them. They're asking, how could he leave? How could you go? And where are you going? Now, now here's what really floors me about all this. Christ is heading toward the cross where he's going to face shame and he's going to face death. He knows he's going to face it alone. He knows that he's going to be abandoned. It's so interesting, Peter here, at the end of chapter 13, says, I'll go with you, I want to go with you, I'll even die for you, I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. And Jesus knows that Peter himself will betray him, at least deny him, that is. He knows that all the rest of the disciples will leave him alone. And so because of all of what Jesus knows is ahead, his soul is troubled, we read in chapter 12. And then in chapter 13, we read that his spirit is troubled. But what does he say here at the beginning of chapter 14? What does our troubled savior say? He says to his beloved disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. They're confused, they're scared, so he wants to quiet their souls. Can you even begin to understand the selflessness that Jesus is showing here. The, the, the kind of other oriented love that he's pouring out on them just by offering these words of comfort. And, and how does he settle their troubled hearts? Look what he says, believe in God, believe also in me. And another way that this could be put and translated is this way, you trust in God, trust also in me. He, he's talking to Jewish men who, who he knows they believe in Yahweh. They, they believe in God. And so he's saying them to them, do you believe in God? Well, yes, you do. Then believe in me. And then here's the promise he gives them in verse 2. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. At one level, this is a promise to not abandon them, but it's much more than that. It's a promise of home. A promise to bring them into, quote, my father's house. They couldn't understand this yet. And maybe you and I don't fully understand this yet. But what Jesus is referring to here is his second coming, when he will return to gather all of his followers to himself and bring them home. These words about my father's house and many rooms, people have obsessed over them in in weird ways, and they've misunderstood what they mean. He's referring to heaven here. But, but some old translations of the Bible that in English put it this way. My father's house has many mansions. And when we hear mansions, what do you think? I remember hearing Christians, and, and not just kids either, wonder out loud, ooh, what's my heavenly mansion going to look like? I want an indoor pool. I want marble. I want a big garage. It's so silly, isn't it? But I've actually heard people say things like that. Maybe I've even thought things like that. I'm not sure. It's silly because, well, for one thing, the many rooms that Jesus is referring to here, it's the same word that Jesus uses later in verse 23 when he says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come, look, to him and make our home with him. Make our dwelling place with him. You see, when Jesus is talking about his father's house and many rooms, many dwelling places, the whole idea here isn't about some kind of a a home or what kind of room is it or is it a man? In fact, it's less about a place and it's more about the presence of God himself. Dwelling with him. At the very beginning of this worship service, Che read from John 1.1, where it tells us that in the beginning was, God, was the Word, and the Word was with God. So what is that telling us? That in the beginning, that is, outside of time, in eternity past, God, the Father, and God, the Son, lived together, existed together, in perfect fellowship. And then later on in John, it says that the Word became flesh and then did what? He dwelt among us. So the second person of the Trinity, they're called the Word. It's the Son of God. It's Jesus Christ. He dwelt in eternity with the Father. But then in time, 2,000 years ago, he took on flesh and he dwelt among us. He left home to come to us. And here he's promising that he will return home and everyone who has believed in him is coming with him. So, so don't get caught up with what's this going to look like exactly and what kind of room and dwelling place is this? Frankly, we don't know. But, but it, we know this, it will be intimate family relationship with God. So close, so safe, so secure we will be welcomed into the house of the Father to dwell with Father and Son and to share in the fellowship that they have experienced for eternity. Think about it. What is it that you miss when you're far away from home? When I'm far from home, sure, I, I miss my bed. I, maybe I miss my own bathroom. I don't know. But, but that's not why I really long to go home. The reason I long to go home is because I miss my family. It's, it's the warmth of their presence. There, there's safety there. There's comfort there. If you've ever watched It's a Wonderful Life, and if you haven't, you should watch It's a Wonderful Life. But when George Bailey finally gets back to Bedford Falls... And, and everything is the way it should be. Everything is back to the way it was originally. He's running through the streets, and he's looking at even the place, the buildings, his old building and loan, and he's saying, he's, he's greeting, expressing love towards the place, the streets, the buildings. But when is George Bailey's happiness truly fulfilled? It's when he sees his family. And when he embraces his children, and he embraces his wife, and he's in their presence, now, now he's at home. Now joy is fulfilled. What do you long for when you are away from home? You long for the presence of the ones you love and who love you. But frankly, that longing is never fully satisfied here in this world. And you know this because many of us are at home a lot right now with people we love. And it has not always been satisfying or peaceful or joy-filled. There's been some conflict, right? There's been some strife. And maybe even when you're at home with the people you love in the safest, most comfortable place for you on this planet, you still think, I want something better. My heart longs for something better. Where, Where conflict is gone, where anger is gone, where misunderstandings don't happen. And you know that the, even the joy that you're experiencing at home, in your home now, is fleeting. And we also know that our homes are set in a world, right now, our present earthly homes are set in a world that's broken and fallen and it's under the curse of sin. Even if you live in the comfortable suburbs. Think about some of the cities that are burning right now in this country. And maybe as you watch, maybe you've asked, how could anyone destroy their own neighborhoods? How is that a reasonable response to injustice? It's not. It's a warped way to respond. It's a wicked way to respond to injustice. But also realize this, and this is no excuse, but it is something of an explanation. Realize that underneath the rage, there are desperate hearts. Desperate, sinful hearts, but longing nevertheless. We've seen it before when anger boils up in a city to to the point where, where desperate, sinful hearts overflow with rage. And people will even destroy their own homes, their own cities. As if to scream, I hate what it means to live in this place. And I long to be somewhere else. And I'll destroy my home rather than continue to endure the pain of living here. When the anger boils up and and people are not in their right minds, sometimes the longing for home even turns into a hatred for where we are now. Some form of that longing resides in every single human heart, and it cannot be satisfied fully in this world. It's only possible to be fulfilled with Christ, the Son, in the presence of God the Father. And that's what Jesus is promising to his people. And in fact, later this same evening, you know what Jesus is going to pray? He's going to pray these words to his Father. He's going to say, Father, I desire that they also, my friends, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. You hear that? If you're a Christian, if you desire to be with Jesus in the presence of the Father, know this, Jesus wants you there with him even more than you want to be there with him. So don't let your hearts be troubled, he says. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's the promise, but what's the way to get there? What is the way home? Jesus tells us the way home. His disciples are very confused at this point. All this talk of leaving and coming back, it's not clear to them. They're they're confused. Now look at the confusion, and look at how Jesus speaks into that confusion. Verse 4 of John chapter 14, And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. You see what Jesus is doing here? It's a little tricky. Thomas is saying, we don't know the way. It's verse 4. Jesus says, you do know the way. Verse 6, I am the way. He's saying, you don't understand everything that I'm telling you yet, but you know what you need to know. Me. And if you know me, if you believe in me, he says, this promise is yours. You have a place in the Father's house. What words these are for a troubled heart. You don't need to know it all. You don't need to see the big picture and the whole plan. You don't need to understand all the details. But Thomas, you know me. And if you know me, there's a place for you in the Father's house. And verse 7 can be confusing, what he says there. It's, it's kind of a weird translation, but, but one scholar, uh, Don Carson, he says it could also be put this way. Verse 7, if you have come to know me, you will know the Father also. So again, he's saying the way to the Father, to, to, uh, into his household, a place at his table, the way is Jesus Christ. In fact, no one can come to the Father, he says, except through him. There's an, it's exclusive there's only one way, Jesus, belief in him. The way, the truth, the life. You can't find ultimate truth elsewhere. You can't find everlasting life elsewhere. Only he is the way to the Father. So, so if you truly know him, this promise is yours. Jesus here, when he's talking about knowing, he's talking about faith. He's talking about trust in him. See, there's a simplicity to that too. He's not saying the way is to do these things, do this, to get to God the Father. Nor is he saying you need to understand and know all the answers about who I am and understand me perfectly before you come to the Father. No, he's saying don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. See how simple it is? Believe in me. Not just believe that he existed or even that he just died and rose again, it's, it's not just know the facts about him, it's knowing him. And, and that involves trust. It involves giving up trying to build a permanent home of your own. It means stop trying to find peace and comfort and safety, and acceptance and things other than him. It means know him as the only one who can provide you with what you long for. Know him as Lord, who has the authority to dictate how you live, whose commands are good, and know him as Savior. You know, these disciples didn't realize that that when Jesus spoke of preparing a place for them, for us, he was talking about the cross. You see, that's how he prepared a place. Without the death and resurrection of Jesus, there is no place for us in the house of the Father. In order for, the, for fallen humanity to be brought home to God, Jesus had to die. In order for sinners to be given this promise, Jesus had to die. In order for any sinner, in order for power-hungry politicians and dishonest journalists and, and brutal racist cops and looters, and selfish pastors to be forgiven and brought in, Jesus, the son, had to be exiled, abandoned, and killed. And so with his soul troubled and yet resolute, he willingly died so that I could come in, so that you could come home. Your sins and mine have led to exile, to separation from God now. But listen, if you don't believe in Jesus, this broken, unjust, ugly world is all that you have. Because if your sins are not forgiven, it only gets worse from here. What you'll face is justice. A just judgment from God which will culminate in eternal exile, hell itself. But if you know Jesus, then you can know that justice for you has already been satisfied. He has rescued you from exile, and he will bring you home. That brings us to the very last point here. We're not home yet, are we? We're talking about the future here, this expectation of the promise to be fulfilled. But what about now? How do we live life away from home right now? Look at verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, there's a lot to be said about this, about prayer and about answers to prayer. There's a lot, but we don't have time. We're just going to focus on a little bit as we end. Jesus isn't talking about heaven here anymore. He's saying, until I come back here to earth to take you home, if you believe in me, here's what you will do, my works. You will do the works that I do. And what are those works? Maybe the first thing that comes to mind is miracles, right? That's what comes to mind first for me. The, the Gospel of John gives us seven of these, more if you count them differently, but these signs, these miraculous signs that Jesus works. So when he says, you're going to do works like mine, or the works that I do, does that include miracles? Well, certainly it does. Many of us in our discipleship groups are reading the book of Acts. And what do we see in the book of Acts? Many of these same disciples who were in that room on that night in the early pages of the book of Acts are already doing the works that Jesus did. They are performing miraculous signs that look uncannily like the works that Jesus did. But is it just miracles? Is it just miraculous, spectacular works? No, it's not just that. Think about it. What kind of works has Jesus been talking about this evening in that upper room? When he, What kind of work did he do? He, he washed feet. That's the kind of work he did that night. And then he says, he, he serves them in this, in this self-humbling way. And then he says, do this for each other. Do this for others. Serve others like there's no act of service below you, beneath you. That's the kind of work that Jesus talking about here too and then what else does he do he tells them to love one another just as I have loved you you see kind of work he's talking about there it's the work of loving that's the kind of work that Jesus did most consistently throughout the gospel but then he says, you're gonna do greater works than me what can that even mean frankly not even the Apostles performed greater signs than Jesus None of the apostles were raising Lazarus or multiplying bread. What hope do we have? Notice, he is saying, you will do greater works because I am going to the Father. And then in verse 13 and 14, what does he say? Whatever you ask in my name, this what? I will do. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You see, first he says, you're going to do the works that I did. But here he's switching it up. He's saying, actually, I'm the one that's going to be doing the work. You see, he's the one that does the works through those who believe in him. He's the one working now through his disciples throughout the world now. And, and then and he's going to work through his disciples, those 11 there. And, and when, as those disciples did the works that he was sending them to do, more people would come to know him as they continue to announce to the world that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. So as God, as Jesus continued to work through these original 11 disciples to perform acts of love, to perform acts of humble service, and to announce that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the kingdom begins to expand. that that future heavenly household of God continues to expand. And he calls these greater works because once the cross happens, once Jesus dies on that cross and raises from the dead, his disciples now have this great, clear gospel message to proclaim. The works that his disciples do aren't always spectacular. The works of service and humble love that you perform aren't always spectacular, but they are great. Because through them, Jesus works to bring more sinners home to the Father. How do we live here and now? Life away from our eternal home, the home that we long for. How do we live now in the midst of brokenness and injustice and evil? He tells us. And He's shown us throughout this gospel, life away from home is meant to be lo- lived this way lovingly. Humbly, sacrificially. It's a life spent loving, serving, in even in ways that belittle ourselves. And it's meant to be spent prayerfully. All in the name of Jesus. All in the name of Jesus. Even as we long for home and know that one day he's going to keep his promise. One of the things that has convicted and taken hold of my heart as I've studied this passage is this if we believe the promise that Jesus made that he will one day bring us home to be with him where he is with the father and if we really believe that our, that our longings will finally be fully satisfied then then are we living here the way Christ has called us to? Are we living lives that are marked by the works that he did? Works of humble service, the works of love, of prayer. I wonder if sometimes we want to insulate ourselves from the brokenness of the world. Sometimes we we want to, especially in a suburban context, we want to insulate ourselves in in a comfortable space. We want to find fulfillment, as much comfort and as much fulfillment and as much as much temporary joy as we can here by surrounding ourselves, curating for ourselves the perfect home here. And it makes no sense. Because what Jesus is calling us to do is not live a life that is insulated unto ourselves, curated with all our favorite things so that we can be as safe and shielded from the brokenness and the evil that exists here no he's calling us in his name in the name of jesus to live outward facing lives marked by love marked by humble service that comes at great cost to ourselves to live lives of prayer whereby we lift up the needs of this world to the God who hears and is able to move and work. Now, if we're living the life that God has called us to live while we wait for our true home, we won't be living in such a way that makes it look like We'd really rather stay here. This word here comforts us with a promise, but I believe it also challenges us. What it looks like to live this life away from home, well, it'll look different for each of us. Some of us are called to particular areas, called to do particular things, no doubt. But each of us, our lives, all of us, our lives must be marked by love, by sacrificial service, by prayer, and by an unwillingness to hide from the brokenness around us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you've taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, this place is broken, but we desire to see your will done here. Justice, peace. We desire to see your kingdom come here. So Lord, we ask that you would help us. Help us to seek your face. And plead with you to do your will here on earth around us. Be willing instruments in your hands to see that happen. Even as we long and trust that you will keep your promise. It's in your name we pray. Amen.